This episode of Truce Table is brought to you by Truce Table. By Truce Table, Black women's musings on life, love, and liberations everywhere where books are sold. Online, in the stores, at your mama pop bookstore. Go buy our book. Everywhere. Period. And the Christian Standard Bible. Hey y'all. Welcome to Truce Table. Midwives and culture for grace and truth. I'm McKemini. And I'm Christina. This table is built by Black women and for Black women. So welcome to the table, C. How you doing, girl? I'm doing good. I am doing great today. I mean, we have a very, very special show. Before we even get into that, though, uh, we, we'll, we'll, do, we'll do what we usually do. We'll talk about what's happening in your world and what's happening in my world, but they are going to be blown away. Um, and I've been blown away by this series that we have been having so far. It's just an absolute blessing. It has been. It has been. And I'm, I'm loving your yellow. I just, sorry, I just got to say it. Thank you. Usher <laughs> in the spring. Come on. I, I feel it. I, listen, I do believe you start with the wardrobe and then you pull the seasons to where they that's need to go. So that's what I'm doing. <laughs> No, but yeah, I'm I'm really you know what our audience they've really been engaged with this um this series. They've been blessed by the Healing Church Hurt um episode. They've been blessed uh by uh the well, they haven't heard the apologetics one yet, but that one that one's a good one too. They heard the African <laughs> Church History episode. Listen. Yeah, we've been, amazing. we've been going there. We've been going there. So I'm excited. We could not do the State of a Black Church series without talking about preaching. Okay. Yeah. And yes. so I'm yes. excited for who we have at the table. You know, I just let me just do a little. Should I do the roll call or should you do the roll call? No, no, you no, you do you do the roll roll call. <laughs> <laughs> well, here at the table, we are honored uh to bring to the table, oh my goodness, some exceptional preachers. We have Reverend Dr. Cynthia Hale at the table with us. We have Reverend Dr. Danielle Brown at the table with us. We have Reverend Dr. Frank Thomas at the table with us. And we have Reverend Dr. C.J. Rhodes at the table with us. Welcome to the table, y'all. How y'all doing? Thank you. Good. Doing well. Good. Doing well. Doing well. Good. Doing well. Here. I Thank promise you, you, this is like as many people we have ever had on the show. <laughs> it told it's me a full Dr. table. Gilbert and Dr. Gilbert. Say it again. It's a full table. It's a full it's table. table. You're right. <laughs> You're about to eat real good. So, see, kick us off, girl. I know you got a good question. <laughs> Well, well, that's pressure, but I, I do. I definitely have questions. I got questions, and we'll see how good they are. But you know, one of the things um, that I remember most about my uh, the church that raised me, the church that raised me, discipled me, shaped me, um, even as a little girl, is is the the preaching from the pulpit. Um, and I've I've shouted out the church that that shaped me, New Shiloh Baptist Church, Baltimore, Maryland, Harold uh, Harold Carter Senior, and um, but preaching. Um, even as a child, I knew was a special moment, it was a powerful moment. Even if I didn't know what they were talking about, I knew something <laughs> special was happening. And, and, and I would love to hear from at least a couple of you or whoever wants to jump onto this question about what, what makes preaching powerful. What makes preaching powerful? So why don't I start with you, uh, Pastor Hale? Could you could you start with that question? I mean, I kind of gave my story of being a little girl, knowing that I was intrigued by it. But could you share with us what what is it about preaching that you believe is powerful? It can be powerful. Well, thank you for that question, because um, first of all, I would say that preaching is powerful because it is the opportunity in the worship service where I believe heaven touches earth. 
through the personality of the preacher. And the word goes forth powerfully. And so um, though we have different styles based on our own personalities, God speaking through an individual to God's people is a profound and powerful moment. And so it's also a humbling moment if you happen to be <laughs> the preacher, let me just say that. But um, I know as a preacher who listened to many preachers when I was growing up and everyone had a different um, style, a different rhythm. Um, I'm from the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. Nevertheless, in that moment, whether they shouted or they spoke with a small, still voice, there was an awesome event taking place that spoke to me profoundly as well. And so, yeah, that's what I would say about the awesomeness of the preaching moment. Dr. Thomas, Dr. Rose, Dr. Brown, anyone else want to add to that, that, that answer? Well, you let off. Asking the goat. So who wants to follow her? <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> it's an opportunity for all of you all to communicate. So we want to we want to hear you. Uh, uh. <laughs> and Frank Thomas. Oh yes. We, yeah, we were. You know. Yeah, I think we were waiting on Doctor Frank Thomas, <laughs> who has a who leads a PhD in sacred rhetoric to give the answer to that question. <laughs> He's chilling right now. He's chilling. He's taking in what y'all saying. I'm in the cut right now. Just kind of trying to get it going. I can do it. I guess you know what. Interesting. What I thought of this morning as I was watching Putin. I put this up on Facebook. As I watch white male supremacy in the form of Putin's war crimes and the idiocy and the stupidity of Trumpism that's sweeping this country. Don't say gay and just complete ignorance. Mm. I, I, I remember Dr. Frederick Sampson said once in a sermon, we're standing helpless before the towering mystery mm. of man's inhumanity to man. So when I watch those villages being bombed and homes and those kids, and, and I remember what the preacher said. And then all my life I've heard preaching and in just the right moments, what the preacher said or what a preacher said comes to memory to set in context. So we are, mm. you know, human and humanity to other humans is so present in so many forms. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, I posted this on the, on the, on the post, um, and we would all be in dismay except for the gospel. Come on. Mm -hmm. That the gospel contains the inexhaustible love of God. And I've heard preachers stand for many years of my life and just declare the truth of God in the face of every kind of adversity and lift people and encourage people. So I think what Dr. Hill says exactly right. It's, it's, you know, through the personality of the preacher, heaven touches earth and folks on earth experience hope. And uh, I just, in these days, uh, if it were not for the gospel, you know, I'd go insane. Yeah. Because, Amen. You know, I think, and I'll stop with this. I think as African American people, we're getting ready to catch more hell and stupidity than we have in a long time. Mm. Yes, sir. I think the midterms. Yes. yes. And so, how do we prepare our people for the onslaught of racism, ignorance, and stupidity that we're getting ready to experience? Yeah. And I believe 
It's the preaching of the gospel. Mm. I love the singing of the gospel, but the preaching of the gospel. Mm. I'll I'll stop Mm. there. Mm. That's good. You know, let me jump in here because you're you're I'm you're right, Dr. Thomas, that we're about to see more. Um, this was sadly what we experienced under the Trump regime was just a foretaste of what's to come, right? And so, um, as Trumpism has gone global, as we see it all in all the corners um, uh, of the world at the moment, I'm curious about what makes preaching dangerous. Mm-hmm. How does the preacher preach a dangerous sermon? Particularly in these perilous times, we need some dangerous sermons. What are what's the what are the ingredients? What are the components? How does one um, get behind the sacred desk and preach a dangerous sermon? Now, Doctor Brown, I'm kicking it to you because you preached us into a frenzy uh, about a month ago. So <laughs> now you know how to preach a dangerous sermon. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm pulling up on Kindle Dr. Thomas's book. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think, uh, and then I'll defer to Dr. Thomas, but, but I, I do think that fundamentally uh, preaching is dangerous because the content is countercultural. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, we, we preach for transformation, that, that just the word, right, scripture in, in itself, that, that, that the Bible is is counter to that which is first nature uh, and a challenge to that. And so when we put that in the context of a sermon and, and trying to preach, to uplift people, preach, to transform, uh, preach, uh, preaching that, that requires, right. The, the prophetic boldness of, of standing flat footed and speaking truth to power that, that is going to absolutely resist that transformation and change. It is dangerous. You have to say some things that people don't want to hear. You, you have to, uh, be principled. It is not just in the saying, but it's also in the living, right? Because we bring our whole selves to the preaching moment. Um, and, and so it's it's in the, the preaching. It is in the living, uh, you know, the life of the preacher that that uh, also comes to that preaching moment. And all that we are and all that we represent is countercultural. Uh, um, so I would say in that sense, it is uh, always dangerous. This is dangerous water. Can I give a quick example and you know, get out the way? I, you know, Bishop C.H. Mason, Church of God in Christ, who's you know, Pentecostals, a particular Church of God in Christ, are usually known not to speak to social justice issues. That may be changing. In 1917, the Kaiser went to his prayer closet and came out and said, I think it's 1917, that God told him to go to war. Mm-hmm. And C.H. Mason stood up and preached his sermon and said, what the Kaiser said, God told him, he said, if he went to his prayer closet, he couldn't have prayed our father. He couldn't have prayed that. He couldn't have prayed in the Holy Spirit, there's love, joy, and peace. He makes his whole living. He couldn't have prayed, and God told him to come out and go to war. So that I think this is the kind of dangerous stuff yeah. that, um, that the preacher, based on the authority of God, speaks to challenge both the people and, and rulers and leaders and nations. Dr. Rhodes, I want to bring you in as well to this conversation, because I as I, even as I listen to the responses, there is sense of deep burden and responsibility um, that I'm hearing. How would you respond to Akemini's question about um, the the built-in danger of real, relevant, 
God honoring preaching? So, so a couple of things. I think first, um, preaching has certain presuppositions. We presume when we stand that we're standing on behalf of a God who has already spoken yeah. and declared certain things. And there's ethical content to that. And um, any given week, we are preaching dangerous messages, not just to the powers external uh, to our congregations, but even the powers that be in our congregations. Right. Yeah. Um, and so if we are going to be courageous, uh, any sermon can cost us our job. <laughs> be, be, be it in the local assembly, you know, uh, it, it can cost us uh, the trip to the White House or, or whatnot. And so when I think about kind of the, the weekly burden of preparing messages um, that both, as it were, have uh, sermon uh, or scriptural content, as well as some kind of social commentary, right? Because people are coming to church week after week saying, is there a word from the Lord? And, and the burden is we, we at least need to, at, at, at the very least, pretend that there's a yes to that answer, uh, to that question. Um, and so I think for many of us, you know, take just the last two years of the pandemic. I think the burden of preaching, the burden of preaching dangerously um, was exasperated because, as Dr. Brown notes, uh, the preachers not only communicating rhetorically, we're bringing our whole self. And so we're struggling with death, dismay, discouragement, depression, and yet at the same time preaching hope, preaching a future, an expected end. And so in one way, in one sense, preaching is dangerous because the preacher has this awesome burden of, in the language of folk preaching uh, here in Mississippi, of delivering God's mail. Yeah. Uh, while at the same time being the recipient of that mail, having to read that mail, having to share in that, you know, think, think for instance, I'll close with this. Think, for instance, of the, the dangerous preaching of Jeremiah, who had to not only preach to the people who had turned from God and preach against the nations, but he himself would suffer the fate yeah. of those he's preaching to. Right. Um, and at one point he says, God, you deluded me. You you. You tricked me <laughs> um, when I didn't sign up for this. And I think preaching at its best is that which is costly. And if you're in it for the right reasons, uh, you every now and again question, Lord, did, did I do this for, you know, did, <laughs> did I say yes prematurely? Uh, it's not about fame and fortune. It's not about cars, cribs and cash. Uh, it's about this eternal gospel that should bring some sense of hope and justice to a world that's wrought of it. And the fact that we are frail human beings speaking that good news is itself a very dangerous thing to do. I want to speak to that because um, just last night, uh, Dr. Rhodes, I was talking with a colleague about being a wounded healer and the fact that mm. the world mm. often speaks to us. And that it is costly. I've preached um, quite a few sermons on forgiveness. And every time I preached on forgiveness, it hit me square in the face. Because I realized that the very people that I was preaching to were the ones that I needed to forgive. 
as a wounded wow. healer because wow. we were wounded in the congregation. I think uh, you all said to tell my story or tell our stories to make it live. But often, you know, people talk about um, being hurt in church. Pastors and preachers are hurt too. Yes. And yes, Amen. Amen. One of the things that I said early in my ministry was that mm-hmm. I would not preach that which I could not live. I had to mm. practice what I preach. <laughs> I have not always gone to the pulpit fully <laughs> living what I was preaching. But as yeah. I preach the word, okay, let's be honest about it. But as I preach the word, it convicted me first as I prepared the word. Yeah. But so you're right. It is costly. It is dangerous, not just for the people internally and externally, but also for the preacher. And that just really hit me when Dr. Rhodes said, thank you. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Wow. The, the vulnerability, right? That's it. The spotlight comes on, comes on us. Yeah. yeah. As we open up our mouths, we, we are a part of what the, the Holy Spirit is doing that surgical work on. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I was as I was listening to all of you, I was thinking about um, the way in which prayer holds hands with preaching. Mm. Mm-hmm. And in, in that regard, just largely speaking, just the spiritual disciplines, the life of the preacher. What would you what would you say to maybe the young preacher? And by young, I don't mean in terms of actual age, but, but I mean new to the preaching moment, but feels called to the preaching moment. What what would you say to them about the relationship between prayer and preaching? Mm-hmm. So uh, this is sort of my lane. I talk a lot about spirituality and spiritual empowerment. And I think about Paul's language where he says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Mm-hmm. And I think when we own that, we recognize our own weakness before before God. And therefore, we need God's power. Uh, one of the dangers uh, in Black preaching or preaching in general is that it can become so mechanical where you know, if you will, how to shout the people. And so, you know, you know, if I do have a great introduction and great movement and points and, you know, and dump the house, I mean, you can literally be atheistic and spiritually dead and still kill, you know, quote unquote, I don't like that language, but you know, that's the kind of stuff people talk about. But um, when you rely on the Spirit's empowerment, when you rely on God through prayer, through fasting, um, through through scripture reading as a devotional practice, not just preparing to preach on Sunday, mm-hmm. I think it does something for and in and through the preacher that gives the preacher, if you will, a potency that right. preparation alone will not do. Yeah. There have yeah. been times actually in my ministry where I'll just be very frank. I wasn't as prepared as I wanted to be life hits family responsibilities, work, et cetera. And, and God does an amazing thing, which is a reminder to me that it wasn't really in my preparation to begin with. It was all God's grace in in the beginning. I remember there was um, some time, Oh, maybe about 12 years ago now, maybe more than that. Um, I was traveling with some friends to go to a worship service. We were going to go attend a service and there was a, another uh, person who was supposed to be preaching, but he didn't show up. 
And so my friends turn and looked at me. We're all in the pew together. And he looked at me and say, <laughs> you going to get up and preach? I'm like, no, I'm not about to get up and preach. I, you know, I'm dressed down. I just ate some barbecue. Like I'm chilling. And somehow they sent word to the pastor that there's a preacher in the house. They call on me to come up to the pulpit. There was a song. The preacher introduced me and then another song in my time to preach. And the whole time I'm like, Lord, I don't have a word. <laughs> like I didn't prepare. I wasn't coming to preach. It actually turned out to be one of the best sermons I have ever <laughs> preached in the entirety of my ministry. Mm. because there was such utter dependence in the moment. God, I can't rely on my talent, my skill, my training. I got to just rely on you. And it was a prophetic moment. It was a powerful moment. I'm not out here encouraging you not to study. What I am saying, though, is that that there's something transcendental beyond that. Um, And when we rely more on spiritual empowerment, uh, even going back to what Dr. Hale talked about, when you're standing in front of pre- people that have hurt you and you've got to preach love and forgiveness to them, I'm telling you, there's there's a strength within that can only be accessed through the disciplines, um, only yeah. through times of prayer and fasting, times of meditation, walks, whatever. Um, and I think we've, we've got a lot of conferences, I'll close with this, that talk about the, the how and the why of preaching and not enough on the power behind preaching. Right. We, we have got to recover, I think, uh, disciplines that encourage us and strengthen us in this journey uh, of, of preaching faithfully. Yeah. I, 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 I do tell younger preachers that before we are anything, we are Christian. Mm. Mm. Um, Amen. And so... You know, the primary thing in this journey is not to be a, a church entertainer, but if you don't have the, the Christian part down, right. then that's basically all that you're doing. And so if you're not good at the first thing, don't rush into the second, because mm-hmm. the second will also bring with it uh, some more pressures and things that only tending to your soul salvation, your relationship with God as a Christian will be able to hold you. Um, in those moments. And that is through the mm. basics. Like some things will never go out of style. Right. Um, I, you know, my grandmother would tell me like prayer and devotion. Yeah. Uh, right. Prayer and Bible study. You can't be a good Christian without prayer and Bible study. And that is still right. That's still real. Uh, but a lot of times what happens is we try to cultivate the preaching gift, mm. but forget to, to work on the Christian. Mm. That, that is doing it. And when all of this is over, right, when all of this life is over, I don't know that God is going to be asking about our sermons, right? Like, yeah, we will have to give an account for everything that we do, right? But I think it'll be more about how we tended to our relationship with him and the way that that impacted everything else that we do. The other thing, um, uh, Dr. Rose talked about uh, ending up having to preach uh, kind of on demand because somebody didn't show up. But a lot of preaching does not necessarily happen in a pulpit at a scheduled time. Come on, sit up. 
Yeah. Right. And so right. particularly in this pastoral life, uh, you know, there there is there is preaching and, and sharing of the gospel and, and the developing and, and, and empowering of people that happens in the office, in the car ride, uh, in the receiving line. Dr. Hale told me at my installation, walk slowly through the crowd. But if you don't have anything in you. Yeah, that's good. Right. Because there's no depth to your Christian yeah. life. What are you giving people in those moments when a sermon is in order, but it's not the you know, typical hour, right? After the right. demonic selection, when you gotta have something in you because what's yeah. gonna come out with nothing in you? Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. Amen. That's good. You know what? Look, I'm gonna take a quick commercial break because this is really good. And I really do want to hear from Dr. Hale and Dr. Thomas too about, you know, prayer and preaching, holding hands, because it's so important for, for us to all, um, I think, uh, well, not all, not us, but y'all. I'm gonna take it. Give some insight on that. This is so good and so rich. So y'all don't go nowhere. Be right back. Truth's Table, Black Women's Musings on Life, Love, and Liberation is a classic in the making. According to Tracy Michelle Lewis Jiggett, author of Black Joy, Stories of Resistance, Resilience, and Restoration, New York Times bestselling author Dr. Jamar Tisby says that people often say, listen to Black women. Now at Truth's Table, you have your chance. We don't deserve the gift of this book, but once again, Black women have generously served us all. If we are to actually alleviate the immense burdens our sisters bear, then we must heed their words. T. Morgan Dixon, co-founder of Girl Trek, says this, There is a textured knowing in this book, a spiritual enlightenment, made brighter by the author's own personal breakthroughs. The way they describe the fabric of our collective trauma makes me trust their solutions. And Dr. Joy Hardin-Bradford, founder of Therapy for Black Girls, says that Truth's Table, Black Women's Musings on Life, Love, and Liberation, shines a light on some of our most vulnerable places as Black women, leaving no stone unturned. Truth's Table, Black Women's Musings on Life, Love, and Liberation, is a clarion call to consider our communal truths by opening ourselves up to a deeper inner truth. By Truth's Table, Black Women's Musings on Life, Love, and Liberation, wherever books are sold. See, I know that you get questions all the time about Bible study and how to study your Bible. What do you tell the people? Well, you know what? First of all, I'm excited that they want to study, right? But I also recognize that, you know, one of the things that really used to intimidate me about just studying scripture is that I would just, I would get overwhelmed with the text, right? And so one of the things I emphasize to people is to get yourself a a translation of the scripture that's easy for you to read, right? Because if it's easy for you to read, right, and there's accuracy as well, right, then you're going to enjoy reading it. You're going to be more likely to sit at the table and open up your Bible and do that. And the Christian Standard Bible, for example, is easy to read, making it more likely for you and I to stick with our actual Bible reading. How about you? Well, yeah, you know, um, you're right about that. This The CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, CSB, is a Bible translation for everyone, uh, wherever you are in your faith. And we know that people at the table are at different points in their faith and maybe even have some struggle opening up their word. And so the CSB's translation is for you, as this Bible has 
several editions and resources to help you along your journey of lifelong discipleship to Jesus, which is our goal here at Truth's Table. In addition, the CSB offers dozens of different editions to help readers engage with scripture in new and different ways. So if you're a journaling person, they got journaling by hey. If you are <laughs> meticulous study, if the studier, if you are a Berean, they got study Bibles. Hey, hey. Uh, they have commentary Bibles, just to name a few. There's an edition for everyone. So E, where can people go to get the Christian Standard Bible? They can go to csbible.com. I'm going to repeat it one more again. That's csbible.com. All right, y'all, we are back at the table with Dr. Hale, Dr. Thomas, Dr. Brown, and Dr. Rhodes talking about preaching. And right before the commercial break, um, uh, Dr. Brown and Dr. Uh, Rhodes were were talking about the relationship between uh, prayer and preaching. And so I really want to hear from Dr. Thomas and Dr. Hale about this before we move on to our next question. So either one of you want to jump in and talk about um, just the relationship between prayer and preaching. Go ahead. Cynthia, you want, <laughs> I, I, my, um, I want to talk about that prayer allows us to access the full range of emotions relative to preaching mm. because Dr. Gardner Calvin Taylor and his Lyman Beach lectures came out in the book, How Shall They Preach?, which for those of us who were in seminary in the 70s and early 80s, it was the Bible of, of, mm. of preaching. He talks about the brooding nature of the preacher mm-hmm. and how much, in my interpretation, sorrow that mm-hmm. the preacher experiences. Mm-hmm. And I'm reading Frederick Bigner, and he has a quote that wonderful things and terrible things happen to us all. And he says, sometimes the terrible things are so sad that the sadness would almost crush the gospel. Mm. Now, I'm back to my original point, and I made with you all. I watched them bombing them people. That's just, it's, it's sad. So I thank God that he said almost, because mm. he's right. It's almost except for prayer, except for the spiritual disciplines, except for Bible study, where the preacher goes to the closet to really hear from God. God, I need to hear from you on this. You know, I want to speak to it. I want to address it. I want to minister to it. And if I if I am hopeless, you know, about it, then so I think that prayer is, is the vehicle by which um, the preacher places not only the preaching concerns before God, but personal concerns that are underneath the preaching. Um, you know, I, I say in my preaching classes that. You cannot not tell your story. You will tell your story. The only question is how abstract mm. you'll make it. Mm. <laughs> you, will every, you will tell your story. Now, that is an aspect of it, and God uses your story. But some of us mm. make it more abstract so the crowd don't know that, you know. We don't. So right. I, I think that it's an indispensable resource. I think that what Dr. Dr. Hill said about pastoring, it has some incredible highs and some incredible lows. You know, you go through the rain, not only with your people, mm-hmm. but personally. And I think prayer and spiritual disciplines are the only thing that gets you anywhere close to being centered enough and speak the word of God. Ditto to what all of my colleagues have said. I am um, real clear that if it weren't for prayer, 
I wouldn't be here today. <laughs> First, the prayers of my grandmother and grandfather, my mother and my father and others who prayed for me, had me on their mind. And um, taught yeah. me how to pray. my mama taught me how to pray. And she taught me how to pray in the context of the fact that my father couldn't find work in Roanoke, Virginia. So he had to go to uh, Connecticut. And I was about three or four years old. And I remember kneeling by the bed praying. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. God bless mama and daddy. That's where it all started. Early morning is my favorite time. And getting up, waking up in whatever mood I happen to be in. Because sometimes I'm sad in the morning. Sometimes I'm happy, I'm glad. But that time has to be spent in prayer. If I miss that prayer time in the morning, my whole day is messed up. What I learned during the pandemic, though, is what Frank Thomas just talked about. I was overwhelmed with preaching, teaching, leading in the pandemic. Mm. Because I was dealing with my own personal hurt. And that prayer time usually turned into a moment of just weeping. But God knew exactly what I was weeping about when I could not articulate it. And so I'm arguing for a, or agreeing with everybody, but also arguing that sometimes we may not even have words to say. But if we'll just sit before God, we'll just take that time um, in God's presence. Because what I've also found is that in addition to Dr. Rose talked about spiritual disciplines, my favorite, one of my favorite spiritual disciplines is the discipline of solitude. Just being still. And I find that my sermons take wings when I have spent time with God just listening and hearing what God has to say. I read, I study, I prepare, but I need to hear from God. And so that time of solitude gives me that opportunity. And so prayer and um, preaching they are essential. They must be married in order to have power yeah. preaching moment and to accomplish what God wants to accomplish through us. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's so rich. Thank you for that, Dr. Hale. You know, um, I'm actually glad that you talked about hearing from God and solitude and listening, um, because the, the question that I have for you all, I've, I wasn't sure if I was going to ask this, but I do want to ask it. I want to talk about calling. And uh, uh, we talked about dangerous sermons. Now I'm talking about the dangerous calling um, of preaching and pastoring, right? Um, Y'all know that old adage of some were sent and some just went. And honestly, there's some folks that I'm like, now, did you just go? Or were you sent? I'm I'm just saying, listen, the things that are going on in social media now, I'm like, listen, not everybody one of y'all is called. What? No. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, no. I'm just asking the questions. I, I ain't no pastor. So I can say, I'm not a pastor. I'm just 
say these things. I ain't no pastor. So, <laughs> but I'm wondering, can y'all talk about this dangerous calling? How, how does one discern that they have a call to the pastorate? You talk about internal versus external calling. Can you just help the people? Help us, help us to know. How does one know that they're called? And maybe that you could talk about your own story, but yeah, I'm curious about that. Don't be shy now. <laughs> don't want to be called. In other don't words, they we don't well. easily. That's, that's right. That's those right. those people who are called deny the call, <laughs> from the call, <laughs> refuse to accept right. because you do understand how dangerous yep. it is. Right. It's like Dr. Brown said about preaching. It's going to cost your whole life. And uh, I just wanted to be a jet setter, drive me a fine car, make plenty of money, have a good life, and be a good Christian. Oh, yeah, I was still going to be a good Christian. But God, please don't ask me to give up everything. That was my response. And here we are. I was just trying to be a teenager. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Dr. Brown, when you trying to be a teenager, talk to us about that. <laughs> trying to be a teenager, you know. <laughs> wow. So did you, your call came when you were about a teen, would you say, Dr. Brown? Or talk to us about that. I was 13 years old. What? Mm. Wow. The call to preach. I didn't know that I would pastor until, you know, later. But the call to preach was at 13. Mm. But I'm not sure. I think at every juncture, though, uh, because there have been while God called me at 13, there have been different manifestations of that call over the last several years okay. yeah. um, or different expressions of that call. But I think at every juncture or maybe every week, I'm like, Lord, did I really hear you? Did you call me or did I go? <laughs> right. That is so funny. Mm-hmm. Now, Dr. Brown, can you talk about that? Even just at 13, you know, it, it sounds like that's, that's a very distinct time. Like, could you talk to us about a little bit about, about that? Like, I know I was part of 13. Like, wow. Because I can tell you, 13, I was cutting up. So <laughs> like, what did that look like for you? Um, well, I mean, God called me. I, 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 my call experience was that I heard God say, right, Danielle, you, you'll preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Um, again, my, my models of women who were in ministry is that they were grown women. And so for years I said, well, I have time because preaching women are grown women. Uh, my examples, uh, Dr. Mm-hmm. Hale was one of them. Yeah. I mm-hmm. met her for the first time when I was about 14. And I always said, like, if I ever do um, respond to this call, I want to be like her, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. she was kind and she looked like she loved what she did, right? Mm-hmm. But I was still saying preaching women are grown women. <laughs> Um, because the women I had seen were, were grown and I thought that I could wait and that maybe in time, you know, when I got a little older, like 16, 17, getting ready for college, that you know what, maybe I was caught up in the moment. I didn't hear God cause I've been in church all my life. Like I want to go away to college and be like normal. Right. Right. I wasn't thinking about, you know, trying to preach, but mm. the intensity uh, and burden of that call increased in those years. Mm. And, and it was at that point that I yielded to the call. And I mean, the rest is, is history. Here we are. And now I think I'm a grown woman. And I'm still saying, no, God, preaching mm. <laughs> grown women, like more grown than me. <laughs> wow. Wow. 
Thank you for sharing that. Oh my goodness. Wow. Dr. Rose, Dr. Thomas, can you talk about just the calling, <laughs> the calling of the preacher? <laughs> I, you know, for my part, I, you know, there, there are extensions of the call. You know, I think Dr. Brown said it very well that there are manifestations mm-hmm. of it into the future where, you know, for my own journey, I was a pastor for 31 years and then I felt the call to come to teach preaching in the academy. Mm. And those are very distinct ministry operation yes. modes. But it's it's just an overwhelming sense of this is where I need to be. And this is what I need to be doing. And you struggle with it, you know, because people never really talk about that when you're called to something, you also call from some things. Mm. So we stress the two, but, you know, you have to give up right. some stuff which is what, you know, Dr. Hale was referring to, that to come into academia, I had to give up some stuff, mm-hmm. you know, a whole lot of things because, you know, the, the academy doesn't pay any money. I don't know if people know that, or not, <laughs> but it's not. You know, teachers, uh, even if you're in a university, you know, maybe if you got some golden chair somewhere, maybe. But other than that, so, you know, when you get this call, it's like there's a to and there's a from. And the from is expensive. Mm. And painful, and you don't know how it's going to work out, but I'm going. That's right. And then what you find is God has the ability to bless you in a hundredfold ways beyond which that which you left, but you have to go through mm-hmm. it. So I think that that's my sense of it. You know, those who just went, you know, I, if you can't do it, I mean, if you can do something else, do it. If that's the only way you do it, because it ain't enough money, it's not enough glamour, it is not enough for yeah. this. Yeah. Jesus, you know, go ahead. Sir. Yeah, I, I would on that last part, I would say that one of the great misconceptions is that ministry is glamorous because we see the one percent of glamorous preachers on TBN, the word network, and we think that's what it is. Um and um and so a lot of people go into ministry for for those reasons. I was I was much like uh Pastor Brown. I wasn't 13. I was 18 when I was called. Um, <laughs> I had been an agnostic through my teen years and grew up in a very sheltered home. So I got the call after graduating from high school on my way to university. And I was like, no, I don't think I want to do that. Uh, I'm about to go and just sort of be free. Right. And so I wrestled with it. And then people along the way were saying, stop running from your calling. You know, these prophetic utterances, these people I didn't know who recognized that I was that I was running. And I remember um, vividly uh, saying, all right, God, I'm going to open up the Bible and turn to something. And if it if it sounds like it's a called narrative, I'll, I'll do it. If not, I'm just going to hang it up. And uh, the Bible cracked open to Jeremiah chapter one. And uh, it was it was then when. I saw those words. I called you to be a prophet to the nations. You know, I formed you in your mother's womb, yeah. et cetera. That's all right. I'll, I'll, I'll give into it. Um, and it has mm-hmm. cost, as, as Dr. Thomas said. You you leave some things. You give up some things. Um, you give up privileges. You give up all kinds of things that you, you know, the dream you have for your life. It's only much yeah. later, I think, at least in my own journey, that you recognize that God's dream for your life is much better than anything you could have dreamed. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, but you go through so much before you get to that, to that reality. 
Um, in a very peculiar way, growing up in the Baptist context, particularly here in the South, I think one of the dangers in someone answering the call to preach is that most of us have historically believed that a call to preach is necessarily a call to pastor. So you got a lot of folks who were called by God, but they weren't called to be pastors. And, and so what I've been talking to folks is that we need to give folks a variety, you know, you could be a chaplain. You, I mean, there are all kinds of things you could be. And, and I think in many ways, I think that that's been one of the, you know, the kind of ecclesiological theology in, 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 at least in my context has sort of forced people into settings that they weren't equipped for, or um, maybe it was seasonal. Mm-hmm. Maybe God called you for a season, Dr. Thomas, to pastor and then to something else. Because I think sometimes yeah. the, the, the ministry has layers. And on that note, I think one of the things that people struggle with, even in that, is when they've identified themselves so closely to an office, to a space, to a, to a, to a geography, they are less likely um, willing to say, all right, God, I'll answer the call to move from this. You know, and so a lot of us are wrestling. I think the pandemic has demonstrated that a lot of folks are saying, maybe, you know, maybe full time pastoral ministry is not where I'm supposed to be in this season. I'm supposed to be somewhere else. <laughs> but they're struggling because they haven't seen the models of how to do that well, or they're afraid of what their peers will say about quote unquote quitting the ministry. <laughs> um, and so I think we have to help people navigate that that space in a, in a much better way. <laughs> And I, I want to jump in there uh, because when when you, uh, Dr. Rhodes, mentioned that uh, the assumption is that a call to preach is a call to pastor, I think that's where one of the nuances between men and women in ministry, uh, because for women, right, that's not the case. Yeah. Uh, largely, when we are called to preach, the automatic assumption is that that means we are now called to serve in a support role, right? Mm-hmm. Right. That, that at most an executive pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I know in my own journey, right. I struggled mm-hmm. um, with this idea when now that I had come to the season where the, the manifestation or expression of my call that God was calling right. for was in the form of a senior pastorate. I struggled with even naming mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Until the Lord sent other women, you know, my way, Dr. Hale again. Well, she's my spiritual mother, so that, that you know, obviously. <laughs> but Dr. Hale, Dr. Stewart, um, in, in my direction, who were living that out because it was not until I saw it. And, and Dr. Hale, you know, invited me into closer space that I believed it could be so. And, and even that took some toiling because I had to unlearn some things, right? A call to Dr. Thomas is a call from, and, and part of that call from was the idea that because I was a woman, that this was all I could mm. be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that these other roles were for other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just think that that is one of the nuances when women are called to preach. Um, the, the first thing is not necessarily pastoral ministry, even when we do sense that God is calling us in that direction. Uh, it's a wrestle. It's a struggle because we are not trained. Wow. Uh, or, mm-hmm. or we don't come from environments largely that say Hey, you can be a senior pastor as a woman. Right. I think brothers are trained in that direction. That's why the first thought is, hey, God called me. I got a head like a preacher. I'm going to go pastor at church, right? Mm-hmm. Women is not so. 
Um, so that is one of the nuances too. Yeah. Pastor Brown, may I ask how, how long was that journey of wrestling when you knew you were being called to senior pastoral ministry, but finally saying yes to it? You know, probably about 10 years. Wow. Right, right wow. where I thought, but I was like, oh no, I'm going to be a good number two and, and live yeah. out my days, right? <laughs> and and it became increasingly more uncomfortable. Yes. So, so probably, I, Dr. Hale is smiling, so what, <laughs> what she would say to that, but probably about 10 years where I sensed to the point where I was okay with saying, you know what? I either am going to come willing or wailing with this one. I knew in seminary after I was willing to say yes to God about preaching and go to seminary, I knew then that I was called to be a senior pastor. I had to wait till everybody else caught up because it was clear to me that I had the gifts and graces. Several of my colleagues offered me a youth position, youth pastorate and other positions. And I said, no, I have the same gifts and graces you have. I can do what you do. Mm. And so I went to be a, a federal prison chaplain and then started a church. But I was very clear because once I got to seminary and saw these, I said, oh, I can do this too. <laughs> you know, and I don't know what it was. No, I do know. I did have some men in my life. Alvin O'Neill Jackson, who was my pastor. Another guy who was a CME who gave me an internship. Dr. Epps, who gave me an internship, they told me, mm-hmm. you can do this. And so I didn't have that lag time. I, I had to wait, though. And that's what I'm seeing that, you know, we have um, women like Dr. Brown said, who had to really struggle with that. And then there are other women who people say to them, you can do this. And so, but we have to wait. Wow. I'm seeing the change now. I'm finally seeing the change now with women being called mm-hmm. to senior pastorates at a, in the black church. I mean, mm-hmm. and it's awesome. Yes. It's wonderful, you know? Um, but unfortunately the story is like Dr. Brown, you have to, you, well, and mine, you either have to wait on yourself or wait on the church to position you for that. And, and Dr. Yeah, I'm going to speak to, you know, all of that is so right on top. There's a communal aspect to the call. There, there's a, a sense yeah. in which some people see some things in you that you might not see in yourself. Right. And so it's not just the singular, you know, for some people it may happen like that. But most of us, as Dr. Hill said to me, you know, it took me about 10 years to get out, the transition out of pastoring. And she we went to dinner when I was, I think I was preaching for you in Atlanta or something. We went to dinner. You may not remember this. She said, you know, you need to be in the seminary. That's way, that's really what you remember saying that to me. <laughs> I did. Said, that's where your gifts lie. Right. Uh-huh. You did say that to me. And so, you know, you, you can be something can be stirring in you, but it's the affirmation of people you love and people you trust who can speak into your life. And you can manifest that. And sometimes it does take years by the time you get it all worked out. But without these folks who love you and who can speak to you and who encourage you. So there is no call without encouragement. Yeah. Right. Mm, that's so good. I mean, there there is a real gift to us in the the community of believers, the discernment that can happen where there are people who can see a vision for you, maybe even beyond what you can see at the moment, who hold it up yeah. to you. And that's a real gift to have um, 
have to have older siblings in the faith that um, that can point the way at times for us. I have one last question because we have a number of, of, of church pastors, preachers, leaders who listen to Truth Table, but we, we have more so than that, a whole lot of folks that um, sit on the pews and a lot of folks that are like, I don't know about them pews, I may not come back, right? So we've got a lot of people who are uh, in some ways, at least at this present moment, feel very done with the church. And, and I guess my last question is about what is the role of the congregation and the community in supporting and sharpening and holding accountable the preacher? What, what, is, what is the role that the, the communal body plays in helping to serve as well as helping to support, but as well as hold accountable um, the preacher? Well, I like to say that the church and the pastor, it's like a marriage. And so, um, and that's what I say about my, I've been at the Ray now 36 years. And so we've gone and grown together over the 36 years and um, I've decided to stay and they've decided to stay um, in this relationship. And so it's the role of the congregation is for me to keep me honest in my calling and work. In other words, to just as I speak to them, the truth of God's word, I need them to speak back to me. And not just in the preaching moment, but to be honest with me. I share with them. Sometimes I go to dinner with couples and or singles, young people, and I say, what can I improve about my preaching or my ministry? And give them that opportunity to share that with me. I have that time during my um, elder meeting. What can I improve? What can I do better? I have that time during my staff meeting. I want to hear from people and I want them to tell me the truth, to give me honest feedback. And then the other thing is I want I expect them to pray for me. And I think that's so important to pray for me as well as to encourage me. Yeah. And so providing those opportunities as a leader, I have to provide those opportunities for them to have conversation with me, for them to hold me accountable, um, to ask for prayer, being vulnerable. Because once upon a time, I thought that I could not be uh, vulnerable or transparent with the congregation. And when I learned to be, I'll give you a, a quick um, example. My father died five years ago, and I am daddy's baby. <laughs> I'm the firstborn and had a wonderful relationship. And that just took me out. But the Sunday I came back to church, mm-hmm. I was sitting there preparing to preach. And all I wanted to do was lay on the altar. I just wanted. And so I went to the altar, I laid down on the altar and I said, hold That's me, right. God, hold me. And as mm-hmm. I finished that time with God, I turned around Mm. and the whole congregation was there behind me with their arms outstretched. And they, God was holding me, but a ray of hope was Mm. holding me. Come on, come on. And I have been clear ever since about how much they love me and support me, but how much they are there for me. And how transparent and vulnerable and weak I can be. 
in the life of that church and that they have me. Beautiful imagery. My goodness. Mark of a servant leader, you know, to have a pastor say, tell me how, you know, I can improve my preaching. How can I better serve? Like, I haven't heard that question. And that's not a knock on anybody. I just, I just have not. I think that's something that we rarely hear. Um, so thank you for that vulnerability. And thank you for sharing that beautiful, beautiful image of just how Ray of Hope has um, wrapped you in their arms. Thank you for that. Uh, Dr. Thomas, Dr. Mm-hmm. Brown, Dr. Rhodes, what I mean, what say y'all? My goodness, that's just <laughs> beautiful. Just about the congregation uh, holding mm-hmm. the preacher accountable. Um, I believe that was uh, Christina. That was question. Yeah, accountable and holding them mm-hmm. up, right? And so I think I think sometimes we get uh, we're heavy handed on either one of those directions. A lot of criticism mm-hmm. and unfairness and unkindness uh, towards clergy. Uh, particularly from people who don't really understand all the, all the, all the things and all the life and all the sacrifices, as well as a lot of um, deification and um, which is, which is unloving and unhealthy as well. Um, so I'm curious, maybe we can just have time for just one more. Anybody who, who feels called to respond to this question, uh, you know, th- th- this idea of what's the congregation, what's the community's role in both encouragement and accountability um, to strengthen the preacher. Yeah, I, I really appreciated uh, Dr. Hale's uh, illustration. That, that's a very powerful story. And I think um, that sense of pastoral care for the pastor uh, will go a long way uh, for so many uh, pastors. The other side is, and this is not so much about the existing pastor, but when churches you know, search for a pastor, to be deeper mm-hmm. in their discernment of who they're calling to lead them. Because I think there are a lot of congregations that have made decisions based on superficial uh, variables and then get caught up in scandals, right? And yes, that pastor should be accountable for that, but it's also the church overlooked maybe better candidates who may not have looked the part or sounded the part, but had the integrity, they had the love for God's people, but they were not shiny objects. And so I would encourage congregations to, you know, all the stuff we talked about earlier, have the spiritual disciplines, pray fast, seek God's will, God's best in selection. Um, Because, you know, for instance, what what Pastor Brown talked about, there may have been wonderful women uh, of God who were looked over simply because they were women, but would have been much more um, encouraging and, and all that in the congregational context. And so I've, I've seen too many cases when I talk to churches where they selected, you know, you could tell this guy was a buffoon, but, but, you know, you, he sang so well. And so you, you selected him cause he could sing. And so I would say that congregations need more maturity in discernment and how they select. And then of course, um, mm. care for those, those leaders understand uh, that we have families, that we have debts, we have all kinds of things that if if those churches surround us with that sort of love, care, and support, it makes it easier for the pastor to really be focused uh, and, and to be committed mm-hmm. in the ways that are appropriate for the congregation. Mm-hmm. That's good, Dr. Rose. Dr. Thomas, I saw you sit up. Do you, do you have something to say? <laughs> oh, sorry. Hold on. Let me, you're on mute. I was thinking the same thing that I, that I do. I said we preach by invitation. 
you know, so, uh, you know, for example, you invite people into your clothes. Mm. You know, so we, we minister by invitation, That's not right. by fiat or divine right. Yeah. And right. we invite people to go with us. And I do mean the majority. Uh, Dr. Gina Stewart has something that she has said to me for years and years and years. And she says that the grateful are always more than the hateful. Mm. <laughs> and I think that we get caught in the hateful. And when they are hateful, they get an overemphasis of our energy. And we got tons of grateful people out there who yeah. just want to go with us, you know, where we're going. And if we invite them, they'll follow. So, you know, 90, I don't know what percentage, but many of them would just follow. Let's go. We with you. And then I, in my ministry, I spent, I spent far too much time with the hateful and didn't really cultivate the grateful. And when you hang out with the grateful, that is what Dr. Hill said. It's the relationship, you know, and accountability happens in relationship. Honesty happens in relationship, you know. So for me, I, I try to remember, even as I direct a PhD program, it's it's by invitation, you know, and then therefore I'm always amazed at what happens in people's lives. You know, it's not yeah. me per se, or it's not anything that I'm so great. You invite people to go and then God does amazing things. I and I'll say that I had no idea that I'd end up with two cohorts of PhD students, 21 PhD students and two cohorts. And now we're talking about starting the third cohort. I, that wasn't even on my radar. But there's something about the way the call went out, the invitation to people, come join me in this preaching renaissance that I want to be working on. And they responded. I'm like, oh, let's go then. <laughs> you know, if y'all going, let's go. We going. So I think it's not fiat. It's... um. We, we minister by invitation. That's, that's, that's not the best word, but that's the best word I can kind of coin, the attitude I like to see in preachers and um, pastors. Dr. Brown, do you have you know anything that. to add? Just, uh, you know, that I, I view pastoral ministry as a gift, right? You We are invited into people's greatest moments and you get, right. yeah, uh, that's, that's good, Dr. Thomas, invitation, right? You, you are given a, a standing invitation as their pastor uh, to be there in their, their, their greatest joys, right? Moments of greatest joy, but also of deep sorrow uh, into their vulnerable spaces. And, and I feel like where, where does accountability come into, where, how does the congregation kind of hold us accountable that when I think about that invitation, then for me, it's the least I could do, right, is live well, live right, right? The least I can do is take care of myself or at least work as, as hard as I can or give them my best within reasonable portion, because I think that that's a clear boundary to set, right. <laughs> within reasonable portion, uh, you know, because I have been invited or, or been given the gift of, of holding space with these people in uh, the, the range of what life has to offer. By the same token, um, I think about, you know, when, when I'm making life's decisions that there are people uh, connected to the church I pastor who will be impacted and, and they will take their cues about God and their future and, and life. Um, that in itself is is convicting and, and, and a, a method kind of, of accountability um, as well. And then they're responsible for also making sure that I'm doing okay to the reasonable portion that they can make sure, you know, that that, that is the case by tithing and offering and then also lending support uh, to the mission and the ministry. 
mission of the ministry that we share together in, right? No, no ministry is just about a single person. What could we do without the people and leaders who, who contribute to it? So it's a mutual uh, relationship. Yeah. I'm, I'm so grateful to, and, and encouraged and convicted by our panelists, humility and offering of their wisdom to our listeners today. And, And as we come to our close, uh, I would love to go around in one or two resources for the person who is listening that wants to now learn more about um, the artistry, the skill of preaching um, or the history or, or what, however, whatever you think you want them to have in their library, um, uh, whether it's a, an actual physical book or maybe it's encouraging them to listen to um, some sermons from a particular preacher that you feel like would be impactful for them. So let's go around quickly. One or two resources, or you feel free to plug your own work, your own book, by the way. Um, we got no shame in that. Um, as, as as well as any other opportunities for learning or conferences, et cetera. So um, Dr. Rhodes, one or two resources that come to mind that you would want to, to present to someone who's interested in this topic? Sure. Well, I would encourage folk to uh, go to Amazon.com and purchase my book, Deeper Steel, Ministry Empowered by the Holy Spirit. I talk about the life and ministry of Charles Price Jones, who, along with Charles Harrison Mason, mm-hmm. founded the Church of God in Christ. Uh, mm-hmm. And and that yearning for this, this learned uh, Baptist preacher to have more spiritual power for ministry uh, at mm. one of the darkest times in Mississippi's history and how that should encourage us today. Um, I talk about this learning and burning component that we need education, but we also need the edification of the spirit. Um, and so I would encourage, it's a thin book, would encourage folks to get that. Um, and then in terms of uh, a preacher to listen to, one of my favorites is um, uh, the late great uh Bishop G.E. Patterson, and you can listen to any of his sermons on on YouTube. Um, and I think he's a master at uh, storytelling uh, from scripture. Thank you so much, Dr. Rhodes. Dr. Hale, what one or two resources would you would you recommend? Well, I'd like to invite um, women in ministry to come to our conference, and that's in September. It's Monday, September the twelfth through Thursday the 15th. And so um, we come, Dr. Brown is one of our board members. And so we come together mm-hmm. as women to talk about the issues and concerns that are most pressing for us. And it's a great time of fellowship. And so we do coaching and mentoring and just hanging out and having fun with one another, laughing, crying, cussing, <laughs> I mean, just really sharing our hearts um, with one another. Y'all just caught that, I see. Anyway, um, you know, I'm a real pastor. I didn't tell the truth. <laughs> um, and then the other thing is the book, as we talked about spiritual disciplines, and I talked about is to read Richard Foster's book on the spiritual disciplines. That is, um, I'm yeah. on the whole matter of spiritual disciplines, prayer, worship, service, solitude, all of that simplicity. That's the primer for me. And so I reread that book on a regular basis just to keep myself sharp. Good. And now, Dr. Hale, the name of the conference. It is Women and Ministry Conference. 
And you can go to Cynthia L. Hale Ministries, www.cynthialhaleministries to find out the information about that conference. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Hill. Dr. Thomas, how about you? Um, uh, we have a mixed method preaching conference in uh, May 2nd to 4th is mixedmethodspreaching.com where we help people improve their method. Love to invite you to that. I would love for you to have you share with you one of the trilogy, how to preach a dangerous sermon, surviving a dangerous sermon, how to God a dangerous sermon. But even more than that, um, Courtney Pace has done a tremendous amount of work on Prathia Hall. Uh-huh. Mm. And I yes, think that we yes. have Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it suggests now that women are coming into the levels of equality that you know their ministries and lives are worthy of being studied just like the men so i would to both male and female make sure you pick up she has an anthology and then she has a book called freedom faith and Mm -hmm. you know cynthia and i we we, we're back in that generation of which prathia was and Mm -hmm. she was a mentor to us all so i recommend Mm. that all right And last but not least, Dr. Brown, what what resources would you recommend? So one one resource um, is this: open your Bible. Come on, not bro. just for sermon Preach preparation. Preach right? that. Right. 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 Do we have a Bible reader? Do we have a Bible reader? Yeah. And and then uh, I'll say this, and not just because she's on here, but but weekly I, I watch Dr. Hale's broadcast um, and, and her sermons because. She has a way of making scripture live Mm -hmm. Uh, that that often for me, even as a preacher, I think that some of my stuff is too, too lofty. Like, well, how how can I make this real for a person today? Dr. Hill gives us a master class on that every week. So she was she is a preacher that I would say, watch and then read everything that Dr. Henry Mitchell had, the late Dr. Henry Mitchell has ever written, especially for younger preachers, because I think that that helps us to bridge a gap, right? That if you can kind of reach back and get some of those fundamental things, uh, yes. then, you know, expand on your reading, which said just two, but, but I, I would say uh, get everything that the late Dr. Henry Mitchell ever wrote, uh, read that, and then of course expand it. Um, the Bible, watch Dr. Hale, Thank you, Dr. Brown. Thank you. Thank you all so much. And and Kimmy, we have not talked about this and we will save this for another time. But the 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 parts or the elements of preaching that we like the most. And I must say that the story storytelling as a a narrative based therapist, Mm. I have a deep connection to to narrative and and, uh, storytelling elements of scripture. I think it connects right to um, the master preacher, Jesus's methodology as well. So um, that's a whole nother show. <laughs> that, is, that is. Well, we want to thank y'all so much for sitting at the table with us, Dr. Hale, Dr. Brown, Dr. Thomas, Dr. Rhodes. See, thank y'all for sitting at the table with us. And of course, our sisters, we want to thank y'all for sitting at the table with us. Let's keep the conversation going. Tweet us your thoughts about State of the Black Church 
preaching. Okay. And you can follow us on Truth Table on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And did y'all know we have a Black Women's Facebook Discipleship Group? So go like our Truth Table page. Go answer the questions. One of the questions is, are you a Black woman? All right. You got to be a Black woman. And then you can come on into the group. Okay. Make sure you follow us on our social medias. Please invite your homegirls. And if you have any questions, you can always email us at info at truthstable.com. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and subscribe on your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to listen to myself and Christina narrate the Bible all throughout this year and get in the word with Truth's table. Okay. Where else can you go in here? Black women reading the word to you and praying over you. Go on and subscribe today. I'm just saying. Truth Table has a Patreon account. So send your love offerings to patreon.com slash truth table, or you can bless us at our PayPal, which is paypal.me slash truth table. Truth Table is made possible in part by Pottery Studios. Visit pottery.com for the highest in quality online audio entertainment. Our producer for the show is Joshua Heath. Our executive producer is Bo York. Our video producer is Daryl Bradford. And we have been your hosts, Kemini and Christina. We'll see you soon on the next Truth Table. Bye, y'all.